Hi everyone, welcome to Midnight Mass 03 and thank you for the people who've been listening in to our previous episode. So you're here with uh, myself, Sam and uh, Joanne. So in this episode, I think we want to just, you know, chat about um, the idea of learning. So relearning, learning, um, basically trying to get viewpoints from, I want to ask Joanne lah, because he, he has taught as a lecturer in previously in MIA, Malaysian Institute of Arts in KL. And I mean, myself as part of No to Scale, like me and Adra has also been invited to a lot of crates, a lot of lectures over the years. And it's it's interesting to know, I, I guess, different viewpoints, experiences of, I guess, teaching and learning. Because as educators, uh, well, I'm not an educator per se, but I like to I like to share the knowledge that I have. So it's more about me trying to learn from students or learn on the job as well, either in office or through the projects you know to scale. But it's always trying to transfer those knowledge to other people because I think and I think times has changed in terms of how how we get information or how we get knowledge and how we can learn new things. It's no longer about long courses in universities it's uh it's about you know more shorter more interesting things that you can learn that you want to learn more especially that you want to learn and not because you you want to get a degree certificate so i mean part of it is also i want to ask joanne about his experience working in a new environment over there in london as a design strategist at Gensler. So I want to know basically some of the things that he's relearning as part of him being a design strategist. I mean, uh, it's a uh, it's both for both of us. It's a uh, it's an interesting journey trying to shift into the design strategist role as well <laughs> from the previous office. So for me, it's it's new shifting from purely architectural services into something of a design strategist role and. Yeah, I mean, let's let's get on with it. I, I mean, if you guys have any interesting points later on, I mean, feel free to DM us with what you what you guys think about it. Yeah, so yeah, Joanne. So I wanted to ask you first. I mean, you've taught at MIA, right? So I wanted to ask, how has teaching been for you? I know you you're you're quite passionate in sharing what you know as well to a younger crowd or people who are just interested but is there a difference between i know because you are you you advocate things even before you were a lecturer like through bauke through lanai zinga so you were always at some point educating but is there a difference between you going into it professionally as a teaching person in academia I think um I mean there is there is um there's a there's a difference though, I think. Um first of all, like the advocacy uh, we do independently outside of job, but on our own free time, right? Is um is to basically tell like a it's a bit of get connection, I would say, like a networking. It's networking, you know, like it's just like getting it's more direct, I would say, 
I will like um it's like trying to direct the um uh, informations to the specific circle that you want to be in as well, and also to get people who are interested who are not in, but also interested of it, right? Get connected to you as well, so that you could have a like a long term relationship with um that crowd of people or the a particular person you want to um you know like collaborate with or even just to explore ideas, right? Because I think like um like-minders are really hard to find you know i mean you can still find a school you know but um but like you say you know like um the advocacy thing is it's almost like um, what you do as well it's almost like teaching publicly you know like a big forum um comparing to like teaching in the institution right i would say um institution is like they give you a specific quantity of people like 30 person you know, like, and, um, and the goal is a bit different, I would say. Still, you know, you try to instill, like, new ideas through this crowd, like, this younger generation, because it's much younger. It's, like, maybe five years younger than you, you know, like, more, like, maybe eight years. Yeah, ridiculously eight years. Oh, my God. Like, I'm getting old. Fuck. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that when I was teaching, you know, asking them, how old are you guys? I'm 20 years old. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, and, um, and, and in, in school, it's like you, you, you find like physical connection with the students to make things. And, um, and also like with that quantity of crowd, you get to do uh, things are more consistent because you have a set timing, like 14 weeks, right? Or maybe like six months. There's a goal. It has to produce a certain um, intellectual element out of it, right? But on like the online advocacy stuff, um, it's a bit more democratic, you know, like I would say like, um, it depends on like the person have the time to do it or not, you know, because it's, it's, um, it's real, you know, like advocacy is much more real. I would say it's like a real reality itself in a school is much like in a cocoon, right? You are like running a fake, uh, office inside the cocoon, I would say. <laughs> Control environment. <laughs> Oh yeah, so um, you have to produce stuff like, you know, but you, you at the same time as an educator, you you hop you hop into that 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 you you, you jump into the bandwagon right, to also try to produce things out of it with the students, and at the same time pushing the uh, the thing being produced, and advocacy might not be produced in a very short term. We are lo- we are looking at long term relationship, right? Yeah, true. It's very different. Advocacy is playing the marathon game. It's like long game. I'm gonna yeah, play the long game. game with you. See how mm. how are you gonna die? Who gonna die first? And then who gonna survive? Who gonna have the the endurance <laughs> to play a long? Who's game? gonna Who's gonna win the marathon? Nah? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like you know when Burger Lab started. You know, a lot of burger, office, uh, a, a yeah. burger restaurant started. A lot of cafe started. Right? I mean, it, mm. you know, we were at that point of like, Alam, You know, like Sabon Jaya. Yeah, yeah. Everyone got burger yeah. baka or some sort. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and then we look at it. Right, like. You, as a spectator it's interesting to see like who gonna survive at the bubble tea shop right now so the survive right it's, a fit, it's not actually the fittest it's the one who mm. can actually endure the, the challenge like being posed to you that's advocacy mm. thing. that was public education but in an institution it's not it's most likely a sprint how you can run like a like 100 meters in this timing but producing a very long term product force very force minded long term product you know yeah, so it's a bit different. And also, like, it comes with a lot of control as well. Like, you can't do a lot of things. A lot of justification. Like, um, I think my experience, like, teaching in uh, institution, we have to answer to them. 
um, and also PAM at certain point. So it really depends on institution let you to have the agency to craft that thing or not. For us, it's a small school, right? And then like we have full agency from almost full agency from director to uh, for us to craft them because it's a uh, younger generation. It's like a big generation gap there. And then we, it's like, it's like a bridge, you know. But in UCSL, what I heard it's pretty different, you know, because there's so much bureaucratic, um, bureaucracy layers. Yeah. layers, right? So a lot of things, it's like a command and conquer situation there. For me and William, we are quite blessed. It's almost like you're going to A, you know, like you just do whatever you want. It's a bit anarchy, anarchy, it's anarchy. It's just screw everything up, you know, and then you're just like, uh, for, for Lamb, you just don't want to say that, you know, how we do the paperwork, but it's just that it's a collaborative with the director, whether they want to help you or not. Mm, understand, understand. I would say things are possible. Changing the labels is possible. It's a, it's a figure of uh, it's a figure of speech and figure of word figures of words you use in the in a guideline. <laughs> yes, yes. There's yeah. ways of hitting the checklist, lah. There's around. There's always like a like a like a like a catch there. Mm, correct, correct. There's always a catch. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk with a lot of lecturers, lah, from a lot of different schools, and they always say that, which um, of course teaching Gen Z's is different, you know, like, uh, it's a different, because, different. They're, because, because they're internet generation, they're full, they're full, fully connected since young, and, but, a lot of people, like, say it's hard to teach Gen Z, because, you know, they don't read anymore, they don't go to libraries, but I think, it's not about that, I think, I think it's about, uh, the lecturers not having, a, a, a common ground to meet Gen Z's, like, you have to first have meet in the common common ground in the middle somewhere for you to have mutual respect and then for a knowledge transfer to happen. But I think a lot of these lecturers, which are probably older, like 40s and something, right? And then they try to teach these guys in their early 20s, which is maybe a 15, 20-year gap. But they're always somehow partly blaming Gen Zs like, for being, or oh, they're different. They're not like our generation. Like it's always that that story, you know, which I find, like, which I find, like, yeah, which I find frustrating, like, hearing too much. Of okay, of course, are there different generation, right? But much, how do you guys meet in the middle? How do you make them? How do you make Gen Zs much interested in? Because they are interested, you know, they they interested in a lot of stuff. But how do you, how do you encourage them to to go out of that sheltered shell? of their understanding and then try to make them open up to you more because I think I mean it's it's different you know but because when you read about Gen Z when they're optimistic you know they're outgoing they're more advocating about the stuff that they're into so I don't believe that it's they're, diff, they're, they're so much different it's just that a lot of these lecturers haven't met them in a place where they're ready to open up so I think it's about it's about that because much like, for myself trying not to scale much like, of course we engage with a lot of younger audience and they seem interested lah like, like, but of course within much like, if you give a lecture right like a lecture of course they don't raise their hands and stuff that people if you if you tone it down enough that you speak sort of to their language much like, you make it a bit not fun lah like, but you insert things that they can understand like memes ke 
or the the visual language that they can refer to and say that hey you're not that out of touch to me they can open up so i guess it's about that yeah so i mean what's your experience with that i think it's i mean like i i don't i don't blame the the, the lecturer have like the um the prejudice the prejudice mindset towards like gen z I think it's the um, it's a cultural thing. It's one one of the thing I observe. I think yes, the Gen Z know tons of stuff. I mean, they 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 know tons of stuff, but they they don't express they don't express it. The problem is, and they're afraid because I think we are educated in the black and white culture. You know, there's no in gray. That's the issue. I think. And the tutor who are teaching also educated in the black and white culture, although like maybe they they educated abroad abroad, right? But the black and white culture still um you when you come into Malaysia for certain years, right? It just bounce back to you, you know, because of the the black and white thing. It's dangerous, I would say. Um, yeah, and also the meeting at the meet 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 ground. Yes, that I I have uh comments on tutors like older tutors as well, like you know. Um, they are not meeting. In, I mean, I was we met tutors in our generation of tutors. They are older than us, right? I mean, when we were studying, they don't even try to meet half, halfway unless you meet the younger tutors, right? So that's an issue. It's like generational issue. There, you know, like the ego, um, the ego architect, like, You know, like typical, very typical, and um, and what I observe, I mean, it's a lot. A lot of it is communication. Because the student doesn't know they can do it, first of all, they can communicate like this. They don't know because they are straight out from school. They are fresh, you know. Like it's all black and white. SK, SMK again. Um. So, I think there's one time. It's just funny, you know. Like uh, I have a student. You know, he was doing uh, uh, projects about. I think you were there. So data governance and data uh, about data. All this very fun project I was for me it's very fun because you can do a lot of satire project out of it and at some point I was asking them why are you guys not using memes you know like not only for that particular person but all of them you know why are you guys not expressing through memes but you guys are in text or in discord you guys are you guys are expressing through memes you know like somehow in through memes and your own language you know so so they don't know a lot they're asking me you know, ah we can do that you can express your meme. It's like, yeah, I want to see meme. Yeah, that's how you're going to communicate in your generation, right? In your project, especially. It, there's a change of medium, right? We have to follow it. Then you make relevant, relevancy out of it, right? And that's what I think. And and also, like, going back to like this tutor part, going back to this, how tutor can bridge with them, but also be interested what they know as well, like, but listening to them. Instead of you being a teacher, I would say like uh, the way how we work is that uh, we try to be like a team member as well because I don't think that like, the teacher and student things work anymore in future because everyone is learning constantly. No one knows everything right now because it's the internet is exposed. Yeah, everyone is kind of like half-baked, I would say. Yeah, unless you're PhD some, somehow, you know. But PhD tutors are much more wiser. They don't see themselves as tutors as well right, anymore. But anyhow... Yeah, so that's the bridge the gap. I'm trying to be a teammate instead of be a tutor. And for the students, I think uh it's a cultural part, it's a cultural issue, you know, like um they are not expressing enough, I would say. And um 
yeah, they're just not expressing enough. But I, like they, the... don't, they don't know what to do. The thing is yeah. that they don't know what to do and then they're afraid to ask. Malaysia are taught not to ask questions this issue, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I like I like the idea that you said about black and white education. It's very true. I mean, there's no there's no nuances. Or oh, we are not taught about the nuances within black and white. Like there are uh, there's a lot of gradient, right? Between black and white. So and we are always taught that there's a right answer and a wrong answer in black and white. And if you were to ask anything in deviation of the black and white, then the lecturer probably or the teacher will probably answer it or they brush you off. They won't entertain lah because part of learning is entertaining the gray area, right? Because that is what teaching is. You're, so you're trying to formulate the stuff within the gray area for different students. So, and, and you have to sort of and entertain as in try to understand their points of view and how they can grow their ideas from a small spark to something that is substantial in terms of, I guess, uh, so it, it becomes a thesis or it becomes a substantial project for them like, in terms of a body of knowledge that they can work with. So that's interesting, black and white. Um, another thing I would like to add is betul, communicating lah in terms of uh, using stuff they understand. I, I'm not sure, I, I, but I think a lot of, I, I don't know, like a lot of academicians, we're, we're exposed to the same thing, you know, like we're exposed to the same thing as, as what students are nowadays. Everyone sees the same stuff. Everyone scrolls through the same things. Everyone sees memes. I mean, it's just different kinds of memes. I mean, memes for 40-year-olds is still a meme, you know, it's just a different... It's just a different topic of the memes, but it's still a same way of communicating. So I'm not understanding why people aren't injecting pop references or not pop references, but pop communication or... That's a good question though. Like, I'll... Why are we so afraid of it? Like, why are we so against it in as a serious form of academic communication form? I don't know. I think it's like the... um. The, I think it's the art culture that that we have um you know like taken to us. Mm. The high art culture, you know, like um pop art is like a taboo, I would say. <laughs> low mm. art, you know, like low art. I mean like not so nice what it's called low art, right? The pop art, the commercial yeah. arts. Um I don't know, like I think I have the issue, you know, like in my early years my, as a student as well, like because I think educationally, you know, like I met tutors, they are much more, um, there are some tutors are much more um, engaged into like, into like those high art thing. Pop art is seen as like, I think low art is seen as like a taboo. Not like taboo, but most like the um, kish lah, you know, kish. You know, like kish, right? I look at it as a kish, you know, I look at it as a, as a, as a thing should be dumb, uh, throw away, you know. Like there's a certain framework that they have in mind. Um, I don't know. And then as time passed by for myself, I I relearned a lot of things actually. I found like halfway through I don't know why, you know, I just like something's clicking in my mind. It's like, oh, this is not right actually, you know, like um I've been ignoring a lot of things that actually communicating communicating to a lot of people than high art. You will find it, right? Like the high art and is actually 
Understand? Yeah. Like a lot of your a lot a lot of the stuff that you do is like more pop, like you know your supermarket. Yeah. I would say supermarket research is quite pop because it's, it's quite banal. It's banal. I and love it's everywhere. like halfway through. I find I find joy in doing very banal stuff. Like I love the banality of it because it's the most powerful thing. And there's a book actually I found. Um, it's for the invention of like toothpick. <laughs> you should find a book. I should find a book and share with you guys. It's so amazing. It's how toothpick changed the world. How pencil and toothpick changed the world. It's the most boring design ever, but it changed the world. It's the best design ever. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Go back to the pop thing. I, I, I still don't understand it. You know, like the the pop, like pomo, right? It's like a pop thing, right? Pomo, so yes. Pomo is has like a revival of pop. Uh, it's like a junk. It's a junk. Uh, of everything, I found it very interesting for Pomo because it yeah. has to, it had changed the whole way of seeing. But I, I, but I, I, I understand. Took off beyond the surface. Much we never had a intelligent Pomo architecture. Much we never reached there. I mean, you mean Malaysia or what? Malaysia? Ma- Malaysia, yeah. In terms of when Pomo hit. The you the the western side of the world in in you know eighties, late nine uh, early nineties again, yeah. And then much when it transferred to Malaysia, I much I went to I remember going to Kedah, and then seeing a beautiful Pomo house, yeah. Randomly like in the middle of uh uh, one of the Kedah cities, so much it it's nice much once much you might go somewhere in Malaysia and you might see a nice Pomo building. But it, it's never within, it's never been documented within Malaysia or design architecture as in Malaysia, as something that is has serious, there's a weightage, there's an intellectual discussion behind it. I think some, I think there's, there, there, there is, or there was some projects from that I can remember that is of a serious merit in terms of Pomo, but I can't re- recall their names. But I remember the, the the shape of the building and what the ideas were. But it never took off beyond surface for 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 I guess the majority of stuff that gets being built. Yeah, like I, I yeah, there are some quite ugly, but there's but like seriously, like recently I've been looking into Pomo a lot, a lot more like recently. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, trying to relearn like a whole thing, you know, like um in like the uh Las Vegas um Learning from, for Las Vegas, yeah. Yeah, like this this sort of things as well. Looking back at all these things, like what did I miss actually, you know, like how can we become so despised of that thing? Because hmm. recently it has been like a resurface of these things because like um we talked about metaverse and things like this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imitation, the great imitation of the real world yeah. and or all of the buildings inside is a decorator shed, basically. It's true. <laughs> that is true. Within yeah. the metaverse, so, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's like a Las Vegas, law, basically. You know, Las Vegas is like a Disneyland itself, right? But metaverse is a Disneyland on its own as well. But yeah, it's super interesting to relook at that 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 thing again, you know. And I was reading like supermarket stuff as well. A lot of supermarket stuff related to Pomo as well. Like the how... Mm-hmm. The building be designed, you know, the signages is so important to us. The redirection, there's a lot of interesting theory behind it. That's true. Even even Signage, a banal, wayfinding, yeah, wayfinding yeah, all yeah. these are very pomo, like very. That's true. 
sign, you know, like arrows, all these things, they are promo, they are they are upgraded during the promo generation. Why are I not looking into it? And then we are in the tech world right now. Notification, they are all promo stuff, basically. Yeah. Hmm. Promo never dies. That's a good way. It's like Pomo never went away, but it just became banal. That's it. It just became banal, you know, less ugly, right? It just married with modernist, like brutalist uh, aesthetic somehow. I don't know. Like it just bastardized with other things to just stay alive. Yeah. And yeah. Interesting. Interesting. That's it. Like, come on, like Dao Yi, all these things, right? The Mm. generation image, they are all overlapping of different things together. Yes. It's kind of like related to like how certain theory of Pomo, right? The resurface of revivalism of like classism in the certain paintings in the, and then you, you DJ mixed it with like uh, a certain kit, uh, certain elements of contemporary uh, culture from the 80s, you know, like, come mm-hmm. on. And then we love it th- today. It's just weird. And then we have this internet art, those, those weird texts. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is Pomo. Eh? It's like that's true. I never thought of it. Like, I always thought like, much what's after Pomo? Eh? because there's no more isms right now, right? There's no more like the great isms of the post internet, post internet, post internet, post internet lah. Yeah, post yeah. internet ism lah. Uh, yeah. Tapi in terms of architecture, there's no more. There's no more major isms lah. So yeah. So I always wondered what what the isms. I wonder like, like what people would call us this generation because has no one name us yet, right? I think it's gonna yes. be the next next turn, yeah, the next hundred years. Yes. After hundred years, mark right? Mm. Someone gonna name us history. You know, people gonna studying back us. I was I'm still thinking what people gonna talk about us, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Post post internet probably post post internet. Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. I mean, in terms of all this mashup of, of information, like, I'm I'm wondering how students would, but what what sort of students are we preparing, like, in terms of graduating, because it's it's more it's it's I don't know what what sort of students are you seeing right now graduating, what do you see them as, much what are their interests now? I mean, they're they're no longer follow they're no longer following <laughs> styles, but and then. I'm always searching. I'm always searching for the, you know, what their, what their essence is lah in terms of these younger generation when they graduate. I mean, what their, what their passion is in. I mean, besides okay, I'm. I mean, besides you know graduating, uh, as you know, going into the workforce to, to replicate another Marlow building, or some or or like another aesthetic of like. Third world aesthetics or something. Tell me which I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to find students or which have their own sort of I don't know interesting take on stuff or yeah it's just I don't know which I'm, maybe I'm a bit farther from the graduating generation lah. But I'm always I mean, on the this is like I felt they all have a certain thing. Yeah, but. Uh, there's there's like a fine line between what they are doing and what they're thinking, I felt. So like mm. um they might be doing architecture, you know, but also they know there's a concern with architecture and then but but if you ask different questions to them, they kind of become quite critical towards life. Mm. Things being around them. I found I find some of it like this, which is interesting. Yeah. And um I don't know, like there's a disconnection between these two things. Yeah. 
maybe it's like a generation shift, you know, like they don't see that as like a, they see it as a tool already. They don't see it as, mm. as like a life uh, mission on certain things. I don't know, like, it's just interesting to see that there are some like that, but maybe it's just normal being. It's just being normal like human, you know. It's just like not all of us like see um, design as a kind of a tool for change or something like this. It's rare, you know, like this this instance is very rare. Even mm. in, I think in everywhere around the world, I think, I think in the UK as well. Yeah, it's not only in Malaysia, I felt. Yeah. Yeah, trying to, yeah, trying to have that, that understanding that design can be bigger than a profession. Lah. It yeah, can but, be, but I yeah. think it only happens, they only like open up when they have much resources, people tell them the possibilities of it, or maybe they go into a certain uh, place to work on it. And then they find like a, um, like a sideline, like a, like a different track to go out. Yeah, and then I found it interesting because like uh, I think yesterday uh, on Friday I think I spoke to one of my colleague. Um, I mean she is still part. She's graduated part from the from from the Bartlett, right? And um, and we were asking her, are you doing a part two? You know, like, but she is in consultancy in the consulting team now, focusing on ESG, the we call it Caspa, uh, climate action team. You know, like we do all this uh, accreditation stuff and do a sustainable strategy for uh, corporates architecture you know spaces evaluation auditing basically a lot more audition we're asking her you know like me and my other friend um engineering friend you know and oh surprisingly she told us you know one one thing is like um you know like after doing this work i felt like there's not much point to go back into part two <laughs> there's no much point there's no much like um interest going back into literal part two unless the part two give her flexibility on exploring different sectional cross-section of architecture itself that's yeah. true and it's interesting you know like normally the ucl student came out they will go back to ucl for part two but she's mm. uh, that typical part two you know like we go into unit she has different mindset right now after exposing to this different uh, realm of architecture has has been growing in this generation climate crisis you know like she told us that um I think going back into UCL or going back to uni system, the thing we have taught might not be applicable anymore. So she's choosing to go into more a- apprenticeship, which is half work, half like research and half like actually studying. And I, I somehow find that that's interesting because you know why? Because like if uh if the new practice are coming in, there's no teaching in the school yet. Because it's a new stream of consulting field. Yeah. That she's doing. It's better yeah. like yeah. she stay in like the the workspace half half to to inform the school, you know, she become more valuable asset to the institution become. That's true. That's true. Because she's on the front line. Yeah. This is this is something we we we, we this is something we should explore more, I think. I think it happens here right now. I mean, I know there's a school in London that does that, uh London School of Architecture, LSA. Yeah. LSA yeah, is a half, 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 like half work, yeah. half so, learning. So I think yeah. that's interesting because you're, you're, that's the way you learn the best, I think. If, yeah, you, yeah. if you're doing architecture because you're then exposed to other things which you can learn on the side, but then you're exposed to real world situations. 
I mean, yeah. in terms of in terms of you learning, relearning at Gensler, what what would be, I guess, a short take on your experience in relearning things in Gensler as a design strategist? I say like because the field, I mean the consulting field, design consult. I mean consulting basically strategy consulting. I mean in design field is is particularly still very new. After twenty years, like Gensler has been doing that in the states and spread across the world, and there's a lot of community as well. We have like Hasso have their own strategic team. Not many people know they're quite hidden, and then like Hish okay, a lot actually have it. A lot of corporates have it, but there's like their air team, you know, like. And I think the learning thing is basically um, relearning a lot of um, how corporate works. I would say, like I would say, in consulting, first of all, you know, like a lot of things are numbers, which is uh, good for business. I would say, and also is professionalism there. A lot of things data driven. A lot of things um, is um, communication as well, and then like a lot of things are, and then. There's a lot of things. There's also like a bigger team collaborations, a lot of listening, uh, listening, uh, relearning to learn, you know, like um, presenting skills. It's very different. Yeah. And also like in terms of looking at the goal itself, um, it's, it's kind of like always had to be um, at the profit side for uh, the client as well. Although long, like, we have like a very idealistic um, goal on certain things. We can do this much only as well. And also understanding that um, um there's only that much we can do because like um when we were consultant do is like we give a report, a bigger project, and then the report is most likely is being used for just like um a few things on the report. That's all. And then the client could adapt in certain things, right? That's out of control. And all those skill sets, you know, we're learning a lot of like um Skill sets, I think, is just brushing out like certain analytical skills and also like speed up like um some research skills and also prioritize research as well. What kind of research that we are should be into. Yeah. I think it's communication is the it's the most things re- of the relearning. Yeah. Basically basically communication is an essential part of being a design strategist, you're saying. In, it is it is like it's a consulting it's a consulting job basically if you go out from this role you end up in consulting uh agency as well it's all about like how do you mediate between um the executive level and uh and the uh, and uh the one who work for executive level so yeah essentially you are like the front man you know like you are the the person they hire as a shield to help them show certain things right and then yeah Interesting, interesting. That's, I mean, what would you say, Macam, if you were to give an advice, a last advice lah, to someone who would like to dive into, I think a lot of people are getting more interested in this role. So what would, as a advice, would you give to a student or someone who would like to switch careers lah, from traditional architectural consultancy to becoming a design strategist? I think you have to have like a passion. <laughs> I had a passion to <laughs> ask questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the stereotypical, you know, like, yeah, like yeah. Speech, right? You really have the passion to ask questions and uh, like the the power of asking questions is very important in this role. Like scrutinizing everything. Like 
yeah, they are giving the opportunity to ask everything and scrutinize everything that is given to you, be it a report from other consultants as well, could be put on a table. You have to play your head as like an analyst, right? To look at that, you know, like, is it relevant, you know, for us? Should we could critique it, you know, like this proposal as well? Yeah. How to be inquisitive, you know, like these are the things that's essential. And unless on like thinking about how could I deliver the end design thing, but look at a long-term thing, you know, like I'm, my goal is to help them to communicate between designers. That's the only thing you need to know. Yeah. Your goal is mm. not, you still design, you design a conceptual one, like a, like a, like a rough, right? Mm. But the goal is because communication is the key thing. They always go lo lost in halfway. Client doesn't know what the hell is going on. Designer doesn't know what the hell is going on with the big idea, you know, like, so you're always in between them. Hey, you know, like, I'm going to do this. And then this is what you're going to have to do. And you mm, always come nice. in to help them bridge that, that part, you know, like, do you not understand this? You know, like, yeah. I mean, so, that's a good, that's a good point to end on in terms of what people need to know. So, yeah, I mean, that's it for <laughs> Midnight Mass <laughs> Zero Tree. I mean, yeah. we were, we were almost going to uh, a climax there, but I think we can always uh, connect back in Zero Four for yeah. more detailed accounts of what you actually do <laughs> in, in the office. So if yeah. anyone wants to know more about that, let's get on with the next episode. So thank you everyone for yeah. tuning in to Midnight Mess. I feel like the next episode we should talk about replicas, copycats. <laughs>